following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning, we're going to continue on with the study of the book of Daniel, the prophecies of Daniel. And we're coming to the end of the historic narrative. We're coming to the end of chapter 6 now. And next week, uh, we're going to be looking at the prophetic parts, the prophetic inklings uh, that take place in the last chapters of Daniel's book. We're going to not look at all of them in their completeness, uh, but we are going to uh, begin and take a look at those things because I don't know if you've realized this, but it's November this week, which means that Matt and I were sitting down late already in planning Advent and the Hanging the Green and what happens at the turn of the first of the year and mission series. And then what do we kick into in February with a new series for that, leading right into Lent and into Easter celebration, which takes us into the spring and the end of school and into the summer and the Psalms. And then we plan again for next fall to get it all started again. And you go, I'm tired already thinking about that. Can't we just enjoy the moment <laughs> that we're in? But we're moving through and we're seeing God uh, moving within the life of this church and that new part of our DNA that in all of that planning will be opportunity now to care for the physical needs of our neighbors. Our friends from Reach Global are going to be with us at least through the month of November. Here's my hope and my expectation for us as a church. Embrace them as part of our family for they are. That they're away from friends and their family They've got a great place to stay, but I imagine they would love a home-cooked meal, sit and get to know you. We sat around our fire pit the other night and laughed a lot, got to know each other, and so I hope you'll take opportunity to get to know them while they're here. For the Lord says that oftentimes you see angels in your midst and don't realize that the Lord has sent some angels into our midst to help us do what we're doing here, and so we're thankful. I see a few of them sitting back there uh, in the back, so thank you for that. This morning, as we get into Daniel in chapter 6, I'm going to read just a couple of parts of chapter 6. It's the famous passage of the lion's den. And the interesting thing today is we're not going to spend much time in the lion's den because you've heard this passage preached and taught for years from those days when you were a little kid and you saw the lion's den stuck up on the felt board, and you saw Daniel there, and all of that, and then with new technology, you actually saw him moving across, or maybe you saw VeggieTales uh, teaching, and all the learning that came about how to dare to be like Daniel. Just face your lions. Don't worry when the king throws you in there, but God is bigger than lions and He's going to protect you and He's going to take care of you. That's about the same sermon that says go out and face your Goliaths. Just go out and stand up to those bullies. Just go out and stand firm because God is bigger than all of those things. So don't worry about it. God's got you. And all of those little moralistic tales that come from these great stories of great men and women fall short of really teaching us what we're supposed to learn. And what we're going to learn today are a number of principles. The final principle being this, 
Don't dare to be like Daniel. Dare to look at the one, the true Daniel, who gave him his strength to persevere. Because the fact of the matter is, and we'll see it in a second, lots of people dared to be like Daniel and died in lion's dens. And they died on crosses. And they died in pits. And they were martyred and shot and beheaded and crucified. And so this can't be about daring to be like Daniel, but of knowing the hope that Daniel had that governed and led him to live the life that he lived. So let's ask the Lord to bless this time as we consider those things. Father, we pray now for your blessing upon your word, the hearing of it, the teaching of it, that we would come under its conviction and that we would be challenged and encouraged that, Father, our restless hearts would be put at peace and if our hearts have been numbed and are cold, that they be revived and stoked into life. Father, move now for your, your children. We listen. To Christ be the glory. Amen. Bailey, I'm going to jump around just a little bit, but I'll give you some, some heads up back there. Um, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials, satraps, sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they couldn't find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, counselors and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to the king, to you, O king, shall be cast into a lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber above, open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before God. And they came near to the king and said, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, and it cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, for the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Dropping down to 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and sealed it with his own signet, the signet of his lord's, and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and slept, and sleep fled from him. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. 
the end of the story, obviously, is that Daniel made it out. And that the king responds to that, and we're going to see that in more detail in a moment. But what we're going to look at and ask is a question of principle. The idea of being a principled person, of having certain principles that guide and direct your life, and having those principles in such a way that the world around you notices them and recognizes them and knows you so well by those principles because these principles define you, whether for good or for bad. And so the question that I want to ask simply today is what are the principles that guide and direct your life? Are they visible to a watching world? And are they principles that you are unwilling to compromise at any cost? That's the question. And so in light of that, we're going to look at some principles that come to us from some observations that come to us from this passage, these uh, verses, 28 verses that we have uh, here. And so we see the first thing is this. The first observation, that difficulty will come in your life. That one doesn't need a lot of explanation, but difficulty will come in your life. And the reason I say this is because the church, especially the Western church, has been lulled into a theological sleep and a theological misunderstanding that says this, if you follow Jesus, if you love him, uh, that everything's going to be fine. And that by the latter years, you just really get to push the cruise control button and you get to coast into heaven because it's in those latter years that it's the sweet spot and things are really, really good. And that if it's not good, then that means there's probably something wrong with your faith, that there's probably something wrong with you, and that you just need to double down on your trying. And if you try a little bit harder and do a few more things, then life's going to get easy for you. But you see, the principle that we see here, the observation is this about Daniel. He was probably the most principled man in history of that day. He was a man of profound integrity. He was a man who those around him said, we can look, but there is going to be absolutely nothing that we can find in this man to charge him with anything except as it might concern his God. They knew Daniel and his principles. And Daniel sees within this and he begins to experience in his 70s or 80s the most difficult time and season of his life. You realize that some of you, a few of you, are in your 70s and 80s. Life isn't necessarily all sweet and easy. Life becomes difficult. There are challenges of our faith. And if we're not prepared for them, they're going to sidetrack us. Because the Scripture says, that Christ says in John, tribulations are going to come. He says they're going to come. They're not that they might come, but they're going to come. And you're going to experience them in this life, but know this, I've overcome this world. He says, just expect them. And Peter, building off of that teaching, says in Peter 4, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes your way to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. The American church is incredibly surprised when suffering comes. Daniel was 80-something years old, and it didn't shock him at all. He was prepared for it. He knew 
that it would come. He'd been living an entire life of exile. He'd been living an entire life of expectation. It had been difficult from the time he was a little boy, taken from his parents, possibly his parents killed uh, in Jerusalem, and him orphaned and taken to a strange country. But yet the instilled things in his life had led him to this, I'm an exile, and I'm living in a foreign country, and therefore I should expect things to be different. Folks, it's the same thing for us. We're exiles living in a foreign country for a season of time. This isn't our home if we're Christians. And what we need to understand about that is it's going to be tough in this life. It just is. And I don't understand why so many Christians who've been in the church so long come to me and go, I just don't understand why this is happening. How did I get cancer? How come my family's in trouble? How come I'm experiencing difficulty? How come this is happening? What's really underlying this is saying, doesn't God know that I've been good? That I've tithed? That I've been faithful? That I've served? That I've done all of these things? How is it that difficulty is coming? Daniel would say, what? He wouldn't, have a, he wouldn't understand the question. Peter and those of the church then were the reformers and all who stood and said, I'm willing to die because of what's right, would look at the American church today and go, I don't get you. I don't understand you. And those questions that we have expose within us a theological presupposition that says this, I don't expect suffering to come, and when it comes, it's an uninvited guest. Versus just the opposite, which says, I expect it to come. And when it comes, I'm going to be prepared. Those are two very different things. So that's the first observation. Difficulty will come in your life. True? If you're here visiting the church, or you're here tipping your toe back into church, or you're a non-Christian who's investigating these things, I want you to hear that loud and clear. We're not hiding anything from you. We want you to understand this. Difficulties come within the life of a Christian just as they do within the life of a non-Christian. The answers are what are different. The responses are what should be different, but so often and sadly are not the same. They're the same. So that's the first thing. Second principle, evil is very real and a very present danger. Evil is very real and a very present danger. Again, we live in America, we live in a Western world, civilized industrialized, moved past industrialization into technology, into an enlightenment of mind and bringing all things together uh, in a sense to say that evil and the thought that there is evil in the world uh, is archaic, it's simplistic, and it's from old ages. But the reality is this, evil is very real and it's a very present danger. And that all of Scripture in one level could be seen as a footnote to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. For in Genesis 3.15 it says this, God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and between the woman and between your seed and between her seed and your seed, the seed of the serpent, will bruise him, him on the heel, but he will bruise you and crush you on the head. All of Scripture is the footnote to that statement of the battle between good and evil, the battle between light and darkness, a battle that has ensued. And folks, what you need to understand is this, you're in the middle of a battle. A battle for your heart, a battle for your life, a battle for your family, a battle for the very kingdom of God for whom you say that you stand. There is a battle and there is an enemy. Do you realize that? Really? 
Because if I knew that there was an enemy going to be coming to my door, armed and with the intention of harming me and harming my family, I don't need a politician to remind me of my Second Amendment rights. And that's not a political statement. That's a statement of saying this, if I know there's someone coming to try to take my life and the life of my family, I am going to defend with every possible means at my disposal to defend them from harm. Most Christians are not prepared for war. They're not prepared for a battle because you don't believe there's an enemy. Now, he is a defeated enemy. He lost at the cross. And he is on his way off the field. He is on his way to his ultimate and final destruction. But what he is trying to do in the meantime is take as many people down as possible. And he's trying to neutralize as many Christians as possible by making them either ineffective or destroying their faith altogether. And having them buy into something that says and sounds like this, well, I don't know if heaven's real, but I just hope to get there one day. I don't know if God is really all that great, but I'm just hoping at the end of the day that it all balances out and I get there that we're just neutralized. But evil is very real. And in this setting, evil is watching and is extremely opportunistic. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel. They were watching him. They were looking for opportunity. Now, I'm not a fear monger. I'm not trying to get you to go, oh, Satan's behind every tree. Oh, gosh, he's there. I, I, it's pretty cool. I've got the shark tracker uh, on my phone because I just think it's cool to know where these great whites are and that there's a couple of them swimming around out in the ocean near us. I think it's pretty cool. And, and I recognize that, but I still get in the ocean. I'm not trying to get you to be so fearful because there's sharks that you'll never get in the ocean. I'm not trying to make you so afraid uh, of life that you just stand this way. But I am saying this, be prepared. And it's opportunistic. It knows you really well. It is not omniscient like God, knowing all things, but it is incredibly powerful in knowledge. It knew with Darius what his strengths and weaknesses were, and it played to them. It played him. And it said this, you're a man of pride and a man of arrogance and you want everybody to come and to follow you and so we're going to come up with a scheme that says for 30 days you're going to be the mediator between God, all the gods, and men. Didn't make you the God, but it said, and he said, oh, this is good. This strokes my ego. This is pretty cool. And he said, now we want you to make an edict and they knew even the law of the Medo-Persian Empire. How amazing is that? That they knew the fine print that said this, when an edict was put in, it could not be rescinded. And they played that. And they played it upon the king. And then when they came back to him, knowing that Daniel wasn't going to relent, and they came back to him, they didn't first say, hey, king, Daniel, Daniel disobeyed. Big sister pointing out little brother. I had a big sister. Billy disobeyed. He should get in trouble. They came in and oh, so shrewd. Oh, king. Didn't you put an edict into place? And don't you, as a Medo-Persian ruler, know that no edict can be rescinded? And he said, that's true. And they reaffirmed it. They're so shrewd. And then they said, Daniel broke the law. They caught him in his pride and his arrogance and leading to his fall. So they know your weaknesses. But evil also knows your strengths and can use even your strengths against you. They knew Daniel. And guess what they knew about Daniel? He'll never relent. He will never stop praying. That's a good thing, right? Integrity is a good thing, yes? 
And knowing that there is something within Daniel that nothing was getting him to cross. They could tempt him, but he was never going to cross that line. They knew it, and they played even his strength against him. And they turned it into an opportunity to try to destroy him. They knew him. Evil is wise and it's cunning. And what I want you to understand about this is just realize this, that it is a plan filled with deception and that it is evil working against good and trying at the end of the day to bring down the glory in the name of Christ by bringing down the glory in the name of his followers. That if they could somehow get Daniel to stop praying, they could say, see, this God isn't all of that. Not just that Daniel wasn't all of that, but this God must not be worthy. You must not really trust him, Daniel. You must be afraid of an earthly king. So be aware that evil is very real and it is very present and that it will use all means necessary and within those means, they're always filled with deceit. I don't have time to give it, but just think about it. They came to King Darius. They came to him, the leader uh, of the Medo-Persian uh, empire at the time. Some think that it was uh, a way to understand it was at the end there in verse 28. So Daniel pr- uh, prospered during the reign of Darius. That is the reign of Cyrus. Maybe another name for Cyrus. We're not exactly sure who this guy is, Darius. Uh, but they came to him and they said to him, all of the satraps and high officials agree on this. Was that a true statement? 122 of them did, but not 123. They were almost truthful. Do you know the truth well enough to know when there's one thing missing? Do you understand like the reformers did in 1517 to stand and say this? There can be no authority over the authority of God's Word. And that there cannot be indulgences. And you cannot get to heaven in any way other than by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. And that all of life is lived to the glory of God alone. Do you know it so well that you can sniff out heresy? You can sniff out a lie. You can sniff it out in your own life. Because evil is there. And it's very present. And it's very opportunistic. So... Difficulty is going to come, and the difficulty is going to come within your life, oftentimes through the battle of good and evil that is very alive and well. And the third principle, the third thing I want you to see, and we've got to move quickly, is this spiritual disciplines are confirmed, not formed within the context of trials. Spiritual disciplines are confirmed, not formed within the context of trials. Most people think of it this way oh no, life's getting difficult, I'm going to start praying. Oh my, this terrible thing has happened. I'm going to start reading my Bible. Oh my, this difficulty has come. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start communing with the saints. I'm going to start seeing some discipline in my life because all of a sudden this difficulty has come. Look at Daniel's life. It said the difficulty came, and this wasn't any little difficulty. This was you're going to be eaten by lions. You're going to stand against the king You're going to go nose to nose with him and you're going to say, I will not flinch. I stand here, here I can do no other. And Daniel went right back to the things he'd always done. He went back to prayer. Prayer wasn't new to him. It wasn't a new means by which he could make it through this trial. It was his very lifeline three times a day. Actually fulfilling a prayer uh, that King Solomon had said uh, in saying that when the people were going to be exiled that they should turn their face towards Jerusalem and pray. 
And he knew the Scriptures so well that he knew that verse. Even as a young boy, when he was taken away from his family and sent to Babylon, and he had probably a pretty good view, I would imagine, of Babylon as the number one in command. And he opened the windows towards Jerusalem. And in the broad light of everyone being able to see him, he prayed three times a day. Do you know where in Scripture it says that you should pray three times a day? It doesn't. So this isn't normative, but this was him saying, but it does say pray. And I'm going to do this, and this is how I'm going to do it. And if you think that you're too busy to pray, go talk to Daniel. He was running a kingdom for a pagan king as a Christian. I imagine he had meetings. I imagine that his mornings were interrupted. You know, something's going on in the third quadrant today. You know, we've got some sewage issues over there. The king had another bad dream. Can you come in and interpret it for him? Daniel was busy. But yet his discipline was such that three times a day, every day, he bowed the knee to Jerusalem and prayed to God. And interesting in his prayers, it was thanksgiving first. Not petition. Praising God for what God had done. Most of us would have come to God at this point and go, God, get me out of the lion's den. God, fix this thing. God, this is so unfair. He made this and they lied about me and I was left out of the meeting and now they've deceived and they've done all this. Daniel came and he gave thanks to the Lord. And he worshipped Him. And then he petitioned Him. But do you see, the disciplines of Daniel's life weren't formed in this moment. They were exposed in this moment. The question becomes for you and for me, are there any disciplines there that when things get tough are exposed? Because if they're not there, then you run an incredible danger of not being able to make it through. Of not having that lifeline. Of not having that fuel. You see, our spiritual disciplines of Scripture reading, of prayer, of fasting, of gathering together with the saints, of doing these things... They are skeletal structures by which the Holy Spirit is building a, a spiritual life within us. They are not our life, but it's the Spirit using these means of His grace into our lives to help us and to sustain us when trials come. Most of us are living life pretty good and we don't need these things. Or we've bought into a lie. And I'm going to spend just a second over here to say this. Most people, when you hear the word disciplines, you, like, you hear legalism. You hear, okay, here we go. Got to have your quiet time in the morning. Got to journal. Got to fast. Got to pray. Got to do these things. Have to do them. Have to do them. Have to do them so that God will accept you. That is legalism and moralism. But what I'm saying is this. You are fully, absolutely accepted by God through Christ on His merit and not your own. By grace through faith alone. Period. Done. 100%. Now pray. Read your scripture like it's your food. Like David said, it's honey to my lips. Spend time alone with your God who saved you. And do that so much that it is just a part of your life. That you live in such a way that the world around you would like to condemn you, but they can't find anything wrong with you. Here's the problem. Legalism is not the problem of the church today in America. Piet, over piety, over pious people is not the problem, by the way. Is that the, when you hear in the news about Christians, what is the normal charge? They are just too good. 
They are so pious and so holy and so righteous that I know when I do business with them, I'm always going to have integrity. That when I see them in their marriages, they're honoring. When I see them out and about in the world, when I see the high school students who claim to follow Christ, when I see them on Friday night, oh my goodness, the problem with the churches are just so dang holy. Isn't that what you see? Now the problem with the church today is not an over-holiness. It's a lack of it. That we drink too much. And we have too much license. And we cuss too much. And we laugh at the wrong things. And we break our vows. And we don't have integrity in business. And that we look after ourselves over all else. That we're sexually explicit in our lives. That we've lost the spiritual norm of what life is supposed to be about. So the problem isn't that we're too holy. The problem is that we believe in some mixture of grace that isn't biblical. And it says something like this, like this prayer that I've told you I prayed all throughout college on a Thursday night, Lord, forgive me for what I'm going to do this weekend. I was taking advantage. I had a total misconception of the holiness of God. And that He, that Jesus would just be waiting for me. And I didn't think that I needed to fight. But folks, there is a discipline that has to come within the life of the believer. We have to develop these things within our lives. I hope the judgment against this church and the members of this church is this. We can find nothing wrong with them except that they love God too much. Oh, we would celebrate that day, wouldn't we? Okay, I'll step off my soapbox now. I stand condemned with you, by the way. That what I allow my eyes to see and where I allow my thoughts to go and the words that come out of my mouth and the lack of discipline that I have in my life is shameful. And Daniel would have no understanding of it. But Daniel understood that spiritual disciplines were confirmed within the trial, not formed within it. The fourth principle. Our actions have consequences. I'm going to say two things about that. Daniel's actions led to a kingdom recognizing the sovereign nature of God. You couldn't legislate that they all become Christians, but it basically said this, this God, Yahweh, is not to be trifled with. Daniel's actions had consequences. But guess what? So did the actions of all of the satraps and the high officials. It says that all of them were taken and they were brought. It says... In verse 24, And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom, they were devoured. Folks, your actions have consequences. I'll speak to the men who are leading your families. Your actions have consequences on your family. Lead well. Lead well. Recognize the scriptures that say, how blessed is the man, how blessed is the one to a thousand generations of those who love the Lord. There's a blessing that comes as well, but there's also a curse. Our actions have consequences. Young people recognize that. I don't make light of it, but I can't tell you how many times I've sat with a young couple and the question is this, hey, we want to get married next month. Oh, why next month? I thought you were supposed to get married like 
in 12 months. Well, we need to get married next month. Are you pregnant? We're not sure how this happened. <laughs> really? Your actions have consequences, sometimes very clear, sometimes down the road, that you don't even see them. But a child will look and say, I've watched my father do this. I've watched my mother do this. I've watched other people in church do this. Therefore, it must be okay. Our actions have consequences. Finally, this. We'll end here. Don't dare to be Daniel. Don't dare to be Daniel. Dare to look to the true Daniel. You see, Daniel was a man who was falsely accused because he had integrity by a pagan king who knew the innocence of Daniel, but still, because of his fear of the people, was willing to throw Daniel into and try him and accuse him and kill him and take him and throw him into a tomb, I mean a den, and put a stone over the front of it and seal the stone with his own seal and then stay up all night restless in his heart because of bad dreams. Does that sound like anyone else? That Christ, the true Daniel, was accused by men who were religious leaders of a day to a pagan king who was more concerned about his image within the kingdom than about truth, even so far as to go, what is truth? And he cast him into and killed him and put him into a tomb, sealed it with his own signet ring. And interestingly enough, Pilate could not sleep that evening for he was terrified with dreams. But the difference between Daniel and the true Daniel, Christ, is this. Daniel had an angel of the Lord who came into that and shut the mouths of lions. Because God, his judge, interesting, you remember what Daniel means? God is my judge. And so when he came out of the tomb, when he came out of the den, he said this, God is my judge, and he has judged me right. And I don't care what you judge me, king, my God has judged me righteous. And therefore the tomb can't hold me. Christ, in the same way, no one shut the mouths of lions for him, but he was devoured by the lions of God's judgment. And he experienced hell. In that tomb, in death itself, against the very wrath of God, and at the end of the day, guess what? God, my judge, judged him righteous and death had to spew him out. They couldn't hold him. Death can't hold a righteous person. You realize that, right? And so all those who are righteous will live forever with a righteousness that is not their own, but a righteousness of a true Daniel who came out of that tomb and who stood and said to Pilate and to the rest of the world, condemn me as you will, judge me as you want. But I rule and reign and live forever. And all those who believe in Him, He shuts the mouths of your lions of judgment against you. That no king and no earthly person and nothing in this earth can judge you and condemn you and damn you. And that the only one who can, God Himself, has been silenced by His Son who says this, Father, they're taken care of. They're righteous because of Me. Keep your lions back. Isn't it awesome that the lion of the tribe of Judah speaks to you and not against you? I wish I was there that morning when Darius walked up and he was all upset. And I'm going over a little bit, sorry. And he was all upset. 
And he's running to the tomb. I keep calling it a tomb. It was a tomb because guess what else was in there? A lot of dead people's bones. They were entombed there. And he ran up and he's like, Daniel, Daniel, are you okay? Daniel, did your God save you? Daniel, I didn't sleep last night. Daniel, Daniel. And this voice kind of comes out the way it's written. It's like, hey, I'm good. Oh, king, live forever. My God judged me. And I slept with lions last night. Isn't it the one, interesting that the one who slept in the opulence of the day with everything at his disposal had no rest and the one who slept with lions slept with like a little boy in peace? Folks, it's not what you have in the position that you have but the God who is with you. And he shuts mouths of lions. Now know this. Team, you can start coming up. Know this, you may be martyred for your faith. You may be ripped apart. You may be killed. You may be ostracized. You may be thrown out. You may not get into the club you want to be in. You may lose that deal because of your integrity. You may, whatever all of that is, but you'll never be cast out by the true king. And so we look forward to that day, that feasting. We're going to sing again this great song that we sang before. We will feast in the house of Zion. Let's stand together and praise Him.